Cloudcast Media presents from the massive studios in Raleigh, North Carolina. This is the Cloudcast with Aaron Delp and Brian Gracely, bringing you the best of cloud computing from around the world. Good morning, good evening, wherever you are, and welcome back to the Cloudcast. Actually, welcome to episode 200 of the Cloudcast, sort of a, a big anniversary for us. We're coming to you live from the massive studios here in Raleigh, North Carolina. Aaron, how are you today, man? Are you, are you here in the United States again? I am. I'm actually here in the United States. Uh, yeah, also here in Raleigh, and it's been a while. I know. I joke that you were uh, you were somewhere off in uh, Far East Asia, and you actually might not come back uh, ever again. But uh, sounds like you're back. That's good. Yeah, I came back. My my stomach came back like four days later, but <laughs> but I came back. Yes. So good. So good. So so episode two hundred. Uh, I looked. We did uh, episode one hundred about. Uh, about 20, well, let's see, it would have been just short of two years ago. So we're still basically tracking to do a show a week, uh, which is good. We've been doing this for almost four and a half years, which is hard to believe. Um, we're, you know, we're just, uh, getting out of potty training, I guess people can, can expect maybe things will get slightly better, although we get more whiny, uh, over time, <laughs> but I looked, so I did a little bit of stats work cause you know, everybody's into data these days. So, uh, we've had about 2 million listens, uh, in the last four years, which is nice. Uh, we've done 110 hours of shows, which that doesn't mean anything. So I kind of put it into, into other, into other contexts. So it's about five days, which means that if you were an astronaut and you were going to the moon, you could basically listen to the show nonstop from here to the moon. So, so there's that. And then I looked at it another way, which was knowing your coffee consumption. You basically have spent more time waiting in line for coffee over the last four years than you've actually been on the show. Yeah. So that sounds yeah. fair. So it puts puts it into perspective. So the other cool thing that we, we sort of track a little bit just for our own uh, egos and so forth, we've had uh, four point one billion dollars in. Uh, so our guests, not us, we've gotten zero dollars in VC yeah, funding. We, we've made four point one billion on the show. Mic drop. That's We're right. <laughs> no, but our guests have, have taken in uh, four point one billion dollars in either VC funding or acquisition. So uh, we've had we, we've had thirteen people get acquired. So I look at it this way: is like we've had about. Seven or eight percent of our guests have gotten acquired, so we're just as good at picking out potential winners as as the VCs out there. So you know, so take that, Adrian and Steve, and all you other VCs that listen to the show. But uh, so good for them. So we thought for two, show two hundred, we would uh, we would bring back sort of the original guest and, and obviously one of our favorite guests. But we decided to uh, to bring back after after a few weeks of. of some painful scheduling, which is normal for anybody. Uh, Mr. Christian Riley, uh, Mr. Original President of the Private Cloud, although it's been four years, so you're no longer uh, officially kept with that. But Mr. Christian Riley, CTO over at Citrix, welcome back to the show after a long time. Uh, thank you, guys. Nice to be back. So uh, how are you, man? Where, where are you and, and how are you? I'm doing great, guys. You know, I'm, I'm uh, currently back in Manchester in the UK. So, um, you know, I... Uh, Came back to the UK about about three years ago, I think. You know, time's gone really quick. Um, but I, you know, I've spent most of my time traveling back and forth to California since then. So, yeah, I'm doing great. I, you know, I'll settle into the new job in the saddle. Um, things are crazy as ever in tech, as you guys know more than anyone. But uh, but yeah, having a great time. Good, good, good. So, what's a what's a, what's a CTO doing these days? Because it's it's kind of gotten to be a weird title. We all used to know what it was, and then there was all these field CTOs. And what's 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 your world of a CTO doing these days? Are you a real CTO? Is what he wants to know. <laughs> yeah, well, hey, hey, no. No, it's, it's, 
you know, it's it's funny, guys, because somebody told me that the new CTO role is the chief talking officer, which I thought was just absolutely brilliant. But but yeah, you know, I mean, it's kind of interesting. I think I think each big tech company seems to have an office of the CTO, which you know, some of our friends over at uh, VMware, as an example, guys who we know pretty well, um, that seems to be split between kind of inward focused CTOs who you know a little bit more on the kind of product engineering side usually and then there's kind of these outbound CTOs who are probably a little bit more customer facing industry facing um, I guess I'm somewhere in the middle you know I think because of my background on being on the customer side for so long it's it's a little bit um, probably more biased towards that but I'm focusing a lot on strategy you know we're doing a lot of things around strategy within within Citrix obviously because you know trying to get our mind around sort of what comes next after after application delivery which is you know kind of important part of the business but and that you know is extended into mobile of course in other areas but you know I think if you kind of look at where we're trying to head or where we've got to, got to head towards where industry's going um, a lot of it's on the strategy side so um, yeah it's fascinating you know being able to take some of the things that I've worked on before uh, which were probably a little bit leading edge and, and try and build those out into some cohesive strategies so um, yeah yeah, you know, we're doing all sorts of interesting things, focusing on on a little bit of really far out on the future, but but a lot on the near term and and trying to um, to understand where that takes us. So I guess you could say it's a little bit customer, it's a little bit product, it's a little bit uh, strategy. So um, yeah, it's it's a, it's a great role. So so basically, what you're saying is you're trying to figure out how to get Zen App into a car. Well, you know, it's funny because uh, <laughs> well, you know, that's but that's been done before, right? You know, <laughs> True. The receiver technology has been done before, right? But um, you know, interesting on the car thing. I don't know if you guys saw that or any of the stuff we did at Synergy, but um, you know, we acquired Chris Matthews' company Octoblue um, about nine months, six to nine months ago now. Um, you know, and Chris and the guys there have done a fantastic job at some of the cool stuff that they've been doing there for IoT, which I'm sure we'll get into in this. But but yeah, they lit up a Tesla. They borrowed a Tesla off one of the other VPs at Citrix and. Promised that they would return it in good condition, you know, and they basically, uh, you know, hacked it inside, got root access to it, and uh, and made it light up and do all sorts of things. In fact, the best thing they did, which you got to go out after try and dig this out for you guys, we actually uh, made a hashtag called Rock to Blue, and we wired up the uh, like a, a Samsung Galaxy, whatever it was, to the Bluetooth capability within the Tesla, and then you could pick a song, retweet it to hashtag Rock to Blue, and it would play it on the Tesla. So it was <laughs> <laughs> nice. Nice. So, so I'll, I'm gonna uh, do one other like kind of bridge question here before we kind of get into this, some of the future stuff, right? So, so you being the original guest, right? You, you've had a, a little bit of you were doing your your thing at Bechtel, then you did do a stint at Citrix for um, Mr. Peter Ulander, who was actually at one point both of our bosses, and then went back to Bechtel. And then now you're at, at Citrix again. But the way I kind of see it is, you know, Peter's doing his collaboration thing and you're kind of doing futures and collaboration thing. So did Peter piss you off that bad that you were like, you know, you, he's, he's now your nemesis and you got to take him down? What's going on? Yeah, we, uh, I'm trying to, yeah. But, you know, it's, <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's a Eurozone thing, right? You know, because Yuland is kind of Danish, right? So the only th- good thing that's ever come out of Denmark is bacon and Carlsberg, right? So there's a, <laughs> there's a, there's a UK-Denmark thing in there. No, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting. If you go back to, um, you know, the main reason I joined Citrix back, way back when was because, you know, the cloud.com acquisition, which is where that, st- where that sort of uh, uh, history lies and, and where I met Peter, um, you know, that became the cloud stack product and then latterly the cloud platform, which, you know, is doing really well in, in the kind of the service provider space and, and in some some sort of 
not so typical enterprise spaces. Um, but, you know, I think that whole area, I mean, you st- we still see it with OpenStack, you know, has that really gone as far as we thought in the last four years? I, I don't know. I mean, I-, I don't think so. And I think it's unfortunate um, that, you know, there's been some distractions along the way, right? You know, every time a new thing comes out, whether it's IoT or now microservices, I think it tends to gravitate people towards the sort of the magpie syndrome of the shiny new stuff while forgetting that, you know, <clears throat> all all enterprise IT and service provider, you know, provisions they've got long tails right you know so i think this notion of it being an an either or rather than an an and has got kind of lost in translation so you know i mean again we did some great stuff back in bechtel um some of the stuff was kind of cutting edge and and probably unique to that environment um in in engineering construction because of the dispersed nature of it but you know when i sort of think about it and i think about other industry sectors you know whether it's engineering manufacturing um retail you know a lot of those same traits are there and it can be anything from you know kind of trying to fix complex supply chains with technology to, to to try and improve the time to getting information in the hands of people that need it. So yeah, you know, I mean, I think I think what what Peter's doing over at Cisco is really cool, but um, you know, it's not really in direct conflict with us. Although um, you know, he still owes me lots of Pappy Van Winkle. I can tell you that. <laughs> nice. So so I was thinking about this. So uh, you know, the first time we had Christian on, like 2011 ish. Uh, he was about two years or so, maybe you were a little further along into sort of building out your cloud environment. And there was this, this is really, I think we had touched on it way back in the day. Now people got to remember, uh, we had, I think three listeners at the time. It was like Aaron's mom, my mom, and then maybe ourselves and, and so forth. But there was this, hey, I remember this, I remember when the first show hit 100 listens and yeah, we were was about like, six Woo-hoo! months in. Yeah. <laughs> So, but, but here's the thing I'm getting at. So way back when Christian, you know, had the CTO at the time at Bechtel and maybe it was your CIO who had gone off and he basically said, like, was looking at the world and said, like, how does Google do things? How does, uh, you know, Facebook or whoever was interesting at the time and said, like, I'd like to bring a bunch of those characteristics in house. And, and you guys spent a whole bunch of time doing it. And at the time you guys were sort of leading edge, but you were a couple of years into stuff. And I think I look at the industry and I, the, the number of people that I still hear go like, hey, should we try and do things like those guys do it? And it's like, folks, we, we, we gave you the blueprint four years ago for somebody who'd been doing it for two years, and you're now just sort of starting. So uh, it's a little disappointing. Uh, it's a little disappointing that to a certain extent people haven't moved somewhat further along and they're still talking about, you know, can they do those things? So my, my guidance to folks, now that we have, I think, six or eight listeners now or whatever we have, we've doubled. Um, listen to Christian for the next, I don't know, 20, 30 minutes because we're going to talk about some future stuff. But some of this future stuff isn't that far into the future. So uh, anyway, so I'm going to get off my soapbox and stop being preachy. So what we decided to do, so uh, I saw a video posted. It was called sort of the, the Citrix video of the future, Citrix future video. And we'll post a and, link and to And Christian, it. that came out of your group, correct? Uh, partly, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yes, of course it did. I'll take all the credit. Yeah. There you go. All right, cool. So That's the, what we were the, net, for. the net net of it, the Cliff Notes version of this thing is it's a it's an everyday scenario. Uh, it's a you know we're, we're going to start to talk through this, but it's basically it's a, a you know professional person coming home from work. Uh, you know they're, they're finishing up their day. They go. They interact with their family. Uh, they interact with a couple of vertical elements in their life in terms of a doctor and and their kids and stuff and so things that every one of us do and then there's some interaction with uh, you know how the other part of their family their spouse then goes and interacts with with their business so it's it's a very 
typical scenario, um, but there's some very cool parts of it that are in there. So we're going to kind of break some of that down. Uh, folks will probably have to go watch the video. I think it takes all of four minutes to sort of see it. But so Christian, let's let's start with the beginning. So the video basically starts. Um, you know, woman is coming home from work. Um, she's in a uh, in a Tesla, which obviously you know people have. It'd be nice if they were more mainstream, but but they're all over the place. And then it sort of jumps into. Uh, there's a, there's a, she clicks a button because somebody calls her on the video thing and it starts off with self-driving cars. How, how far along are we with, with self-driving cars? I mean, I'm seeing all sorts of stuff from Google. And then I saw a very cool thing from the university of Michigan where they have an entire mocked up city so they can test self-driving cars. Like how, how, how close are we getting to that sort of technology, this sort of, you know, autonomous, uh, types of, of, you know, transportation. Well, you know, I mean, I think if you if you take it from a an autonomous perspective, I think we're very close technology wise. I I don't know how close we are from a social acceptability perspective, but you know, and and then a regulatory, legal, whatever whatever way you want to look at it. But you know, it's funny. I I always think people have an interesting relationship with cars because all the way since you know the very first cars were invented. I think everybody's had the notion that you're in charge of the car, which is probably right. I mean, with the exception of what goes on under the hood, which is a mechanical construct, the actual driving of it and everything else you need for spatial awareness and anticipation and all those sorts of things are a, a very human element. And some of us are better than others, right? <laughs> no, no, uh, no pun to my wife intended, right? But, you know, but interestingly, you know, think about that conversely in, in aviation, though, right? I mean, you know, you know, I'm a big aviation nut guy, so I have to get the aviation thing in straight away, right? But I mean, you really think about it we've been relying on autonomous technology with two pilots sat in a flight deck just in case something goes wrong right and the fact that you can't see what goes on past that now very well secured door post 9-11 it's kind of interesting because people just have agreed to sort of give up the the fact that you're going to take off and land to the skill of those pilots which is right in essence but you think about it for what could be 100 percent of most flights for equipped airplanes and equipped airports that by that i mean having the right you know sort of autoland capabilities and whatever um you know you wouldn't need anybody to fly the aircraft so uh, it's very interesting that the cars seem to have lagged aviation because obviously there's a lot more of them and i think there's been that much more personal relationship with them but i think from a technology perspective you know i mean what do we what do we see recently from Google that you know they said they've done so many hundreds of thousands of hours with the test cars and pretty much the only uh, incidents that they've been involved with is where things have driven into that as opposed to the car sort of spiraling out of control. So yeah, I mean, yeah. I, think- I just saw an article. I want to say it was like last week or two weeks ago where somebody rear-ended one of the self-driving cars and there was this big thing of like, well, whose fault was it? And the the guy was trying to blame the car and. <laughs> it was right. pretty interesting. Yeah, but you know, if, but I think if you if you sort of look at it on balance, I think what's happening is that the the the, the traditional car has been augmented again, no pun intended, with with things that have assisted the driving, right? Whether that's you know smart braking on Toyotas or whether that's lane change warnings or whatever it is, right? I mean, basically now. Well, with the exception of the Chrysler thing last week, that's probably put us back another couple of hundred years. But um, you know, the the Jeep that got hacked. I mean, by that, you know, it, it's. I guess essentially, you're in you're in a computer that has four wheels and a steering wheel, right? You know, just what we have it on the right side, and you guys have it on the wrong side. But that even you take that away, right? You know, once once you get fully uh, self driving cars, it doesn't matter whether you're American or English. Yeah, yeah, no, and I and I, and I feel like like especially in, in your video, and I mean, I kind of keep referring back to this, but the the experience that they sort of highlight is, you know, the person is fully in control of the car and then there's a, there's an activity that, that takes place, right? They get a, they get a, a, a video call, phone call from somebody. 
and then it just sort of you push a button in the car you, you let the car take over right it's essentially um uh, you know sort of self-driving uh a handoff yeah, it's a handoff yeah and I, and I think about those scenarios like you know between you know all the concerns about you know kids and texting and driving or anybody texting and driving or even just you know anybody who who drives for a living you know they're out driving and they're like i'm tired i feel like putting it on cruise control like to me, like socially, I'm like, I would love having that in my vehicle, right? Even if it's, you know, it's a half an hour, it's 45 minutes. I don't feel like sitting in rush hour traffic. Like, I feel like that sort of stuff people would be very accepting of. I think what scares people is the, uh, I look over to my left or my right and there's a car driving and it's, there's nobody in the driver's seat, but there's, you know, the rest of the car is filled with people. Like, I think that part freaks people out somehow. Um, so yeah, so somewhere in there, there's, there's probably like a, a, a transitional phase that I think would be pretty interesting. And probably not far away. Yeah, no, I don't. I don't think it's far away at all. You know, but again, and it's kind of an interesting segue into some of other challenges that I think are going to become more and more prevalent. You know, this is this is going to be all about. You know, do you trust the standard? Right. I mean, what is the standard of open communication between cars? You know, that they can pass sufficient information to stop them being in a collision. Right. Because at the end of the day, you know, you rely on your intuition and your you know everything you've learned driving to know when to. Hit, hit the brake, right? If right. you give up, if you give up that completely autonomously, I, I just think it's a hell of a shift, you know. And I think technologically, I wonder whether you know people will will accept the fact that hey, you know, don't worry about it. I mean, these the, the very same sort of notional standards that stop aircraft coming into collision with each other, you know, in sky lanes thirty thousand feet above us, are going to be you know kind of the same notion that we use for the things on the ground. But you know, I think the whole notion of standards and kind of integration of systems and you know whether that be integration with stoplights of the future that automatically stop the car at you know the the red light i mean you can see those challenges right you know it's yeah, hard yeah. enough to try and agree home automation standards right so i mean how the heck we're going to do it for every single piece of moving equipment well yeah. it beats me for now yeah, we probably need the open. We probably need the open car foundation to solve all those sort of problems for us. Well, no, I think we, what we need to do is when it gets to the top of the hype cycle, we need at least four or five competing ones. Then we'll know we've made. <laughs> That's right. So, uh, so the next the next cool thing, at least that jumped out at me, is is watching this. Um, so there was some there was some stuff that was sort of seamless handoff between a mobile device and you know touchscreen devices. I think some of that stuff goes on. Uh, you know, you can do those sort of things today. Um, the, the next thing that to me that was kind of cool, though, there was a bunch of sort of 3D hologram or three. I don't know what the right word is. It was sort of like, for example, it was a it was a kid who had a uh, an iPad or a you know mobile t- you know tablet type of device that was just sitting on like a coffee table, and then there was sort of this this 3D element that was coming out from out of there. How much how how far away from that sort of stuff are we today? I mean, obviously we've seen. Some hologram stuff, some big, you know, Princess Leia looking things. We've seen some big contraptions, but how far away are we from this to be just your everyday types of devices and and displays and so forth? Well, you know, that's a fascinating world. I guess you guys may remember that we we did some of this sort of an augmented reality piece, which I think is, is, you know, if you go back in 10 years, 15 years even, a lot of virtual reality was kind of born and it was, but the trouble with it was it was really cumbersome. You know, we, we did a lot of it back in Bechtel in, in the probably mid to late 90s to try and simulate a lot of things. But, you know, it was clunky and literally, and I'm kind of saying this jokingly, but the headsets were so goddamn heavy 
that you know people could only put them on the head for a certain time before they you know either the necks would sort of get really <laughs> tired or you know they'd sort of turn around and fall over because the thing had weighed them to one side. But you know, but so if you think about kind of that that sort of trajectory from virtual reality to augmented reality, the next logical one really is kind of the hologram stuff that you see. And you know, it's interesting. You guys probably aware Google have poured a significant amount of money into Magic Leap, which really no. Well, and then they, I think they opened their early developer program in June. Um, nobody really knows what that's going to be yet. But, you know, I think if I was to take that and look at, say, the HoloLens, um, it's only, and again, you know, if you, if you follow the traje- trajectory of Moore's Law, which apparently is reaching a breaking point, right? It's no longer considered valid because of the, of the, the speed of, of, of development on the sort of the, the silicon side. Um, you know, what, how long is it until that sort of technology? If you look at what Google did with, with the 3D sensors in the phone in Project Tango, as an example, you can kind of see all this stuff gathering pace. But I think, I think what we'll see as a, as a really early entry point of that is whatever Facebook do with whatever magic they've got up the sleeve with Oculus, you know, because obviously they've got something on that sort of extended VR capability. Now, again, you know, HoloLens, Oculus, they still require you to kind of wear some kind of, you know, device or overlay that, that brings the 3D to life. And I can't see that changing anytime soon. I mean, you know, we saw what happened with, with Google Glass as an example, which, you know, I suppose in the, in the scheme of Google fails, it's probably quite a big one by their own admission. Certainly on the consumer side, um, but you know I think it's brave of them to do that, and you know that's just classic Google continue to push the envelope. But you know I think if I if I think about sort of where Microsoft could go with the Hololens, where where the Magic Leap guys would go, you know Apple recently acquired Mateo, which were an AR company that we worked with in Bechtel back in the day. So you know I, I think that whole whole area is heading for a for a significant confluence. I don't know what's going to come out of it, quite frankly, from a kind of consumer versus enterprise perspective. But, you know, to me, it feels like the next big thing waiting to happen. And that will become, you know, kind of a a big part in in how we interact with things, right? You know, this notion of of some of the things you see in the video. I mean, it's it's there today, right? In in certain forms, it's it's not perfect. But I think it's it's not something that's as futuristic as as you might imagine, given the fact that obviously there's been significant investment from, from a number of the big players. Well, and to also kind of add to that a little bit, the, <clears throat> the the big thing here is you almost have two competing visual displays there. You've got virtual re- virtual reality versus holographic, right? And if anything else, the holographic, at least in the movies, looks way cooler. And But it is a multiple people can look at it thing. The virtual reality tends to be very single focused, right? And even if it's you know, like you, you, there was a joke at the, like the Google I.O. conference, it was a bunch of people testing out like the Google Cardboard. And it was like a room full of people sitting there with headsets on. And it was like, wow, <laughs> you know, the, no one is interacting with anyone. Um, yeah. And, and yeah. so it becomes yeah. this own little private world, which is almost standoffish. And right. But then you've got the Google Glass, which was almost just more creepy and freaky. Right. But, you know, but I, but I think there's use cases for both, right? I mean, if Agreed. you think about the, um, you know, again, not to kind of hark back to the video too much, but, you know, that that's really all about automating a, a workflow of a person, right? I mean, that, that's exactly what we do every day. You know, you go in or you call the GP or the doctor and for this, or you'd call the bank for that or do this. I mean, you know, it, it, 
the technology piece of that is probably doable today in, in, in multiple ways. It may not be, you know, as slick as the video suggests, but the reality is that, you know, a lot of tools are there to do that, whether that's, you know, two-way communication via a doctor's office, via video, or whether it's moving, you know, your session from one location to another from an application perspective. All, I mean, all that's there, right? I mean, that, you know, it's, it's, it's not brand new. Um, but I think bringing it together and, and tying it into, you know, some of the things around, you know, advanced healthcare, the things that we've seen develop pretty quickly in terms of wearables. I think that's where it sort of becomes the, the, the really interesting point because I think all these devices that live incidentally, whether that's the refrigerator or your Fitbit or whatever it is, at some point they've got to be part of the bigger story. You know, and whether that means that from your Tesla, you know, the refrigerator sends you a note saying, Oh, by the way, before you get home tonight, there's no milk. Do you want me to go and order it? I mean that's that's perfectly doable and that's perfectly, you know, in in the part of of, of anybody's sort of personal workflow today. So, you know, I, I think what um, what gets interesting there is, you know, how, how do you interact and what's the most convenient? I mean, certain things will lend themselves more towards the 3D and the holographic, you know, whether that be, um, you know, kind of things that you see, again, you see in the video or some of the things that Microsoft have shown, which is the kids playing Minecraft, right? So, I mean, that's just a super example of, you know, how you would take that from a um, something that we do today on a flat screen into a hologram. You know, why would you not build 3D worlds in Minecraft in hologram? Absolutely. But, you know, that same thing could apply to, to architecture or physical explorations of facilities or operating plants, whether that be, you know, power stations or airports or whatever it is. I mean, you know, I, I just see the, a, a use case for all those things. But I think what gels it together really is it's all about the information flow, right, which is, you know, a big thing that we've been focusing on relative to kind of the Citrix strategy. It's not really about application anymore it's about you know how do i get that information flow from a to b to c you know in 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 the best ways and i think that's where we'll we'll see some of the big rewards yeah but but you are forgetting the 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 one law that has been around since you know pretty much pre-internet too and that is you know which one's going to show porn the best because that's the technology that's going to take off right well it is (laughs) it's always the law of porn yeah, well, no, it is, but I think you'd have to go back to Yulander for that. He's probably much more qualified. <laughs> <laughs> let me uh, let me ask you, before this goes down to a big rat hole. Let me ask let me ask you. Brian's right like change subject, change subject. Like, no, I'm usually the one that brings that up, so I'm, I'm okay with it. <laughs> there, yeah, it's true. So, uh, so let me how you use those words as well. Yeah, uh, well, you know. Um, so let, let me ask you. Let me ask you a practical piece of this, though. So, like one of the things that's sort of uh, embedded in the in the in the in the video concept, but it's, you know, it's not explicitly called out is, you know, there's sort of this seamless, this sort of seamless, uh, interaction, not so much handoff, but like seamless interaction between a person's work life and their personal life. Right. Which always sounds cool. Like we, you know, none of us sort of argue anymore that there's, there's a distinct place where you work and a distinct place where you, you live. Cause they're, they're really blurred, but like from a technology perspective, that's still really hard. Uh, you know, so let me let me put this in perspective. So, when you guys were at, were at Bechtel, there was there was Bechtel proper, and then there's you know tons and tons of contractors you guys had. So in essence, you you had you know th- this idea that there was sort of the, the centralized system, the, the work system, and then you had all these externals, which could very well be just like your personal life. Like how how much of this stuff has to live like be entirely say public cloud based or API based? I mean, like how, how much barrier do we realistically have of, of trying to link these systems that aren't under one centralized control? I mean, are we getting closer to where it's like public API, valid authentication mechanisms to make this work? Or is this is this still an enormous barrier? Well, I mean, I, 
That's a good, good question. I, I think whatever we deal with legacy, we're always going to be dealing with uh, problems of interoperability, integration, whatever you want to call it, accessibility. Um, you know, and then there's a regulatory layer on that where you know we have concerns around whether that's in in PCI world for retail or whether that's in HIPAA for healthcare, wh- wh- whatever those things are. Um, you know, I, 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 I think there are absolutely ways of mixing the two. Um, you know, do, do, does it have to be all one and, and all the other? No, I, I, I really don't think it does. I mean, I think there's enough technology around where you know we can kind of merge that and make it seamless from an end user perspective. You know, whether that's something you need to access from a public cloud location or whether that's something from, you know, an on-premise location and you kind of merge the two at the endpoint or the UI. I mean, you know, that's something we did in Bechtel. It's something that other other people are doing. I I don't think it's um, out of the realms of possibility. But I think where it gets complicated yet again is, you know, how do you efficiently mix all the legacy authentication and authorization, business logic, security models with the newer things that have been built, which are probably you know, easier to deal with on, on balance from a consumption perspective. So, you know, I think that that, that whole thing is a huge challenge, you know, but then I, I kind of think about what we did with Octoblue and the acquisition that Citrix made there. Um, I don't know if you guys are all that familiar with it, but think about it as kind of like a, a workflow automation piece. And so, you know, we, we actually coined a term there called flowgramming. So, you know, rather than actually have to program things, it's kind of like a drag and drop interface. Uh, a little bit like the, the recipe notion from IFTTT is. It's kind of very similar to that. Um, so I think in a world where there's common authentication and there's, you know, modern APIs, I think that's so much easier. And I think if you look at, you know, what IFTTT did, what Zapier do, uh, and what we've done with Octoblue, where we've had the biggest um, uh, wins so far, it's where things are consumable at the endpoint, and then they're able to be either aggregated or used in a workflow. So, you know, I think that that that's still a big problem. I'm, I, I don't know whether I'd use the word barrier, but I think it's a it's certainly a challenge. And you know, whether you come at that challenge as an enterprise because of mobile apps or because of integration. You know, across uh, sort of B two B or B two C in a, in a different world than we're used to with EDI and and the previous ways of doing things. Then, you know, I, I think it's always going to be a challenge. And you know, the the notion of of firewalls as we know as as we know them before is kind of becoming less appealing. Uh, you know, the fact that we have perimeters around pretty much everything now, whether that's cloud or whether that's personal or whether that's something I'm wearing on my body or whether that's something that's taking me to work. You know, the the perimeters are around everything right so i I think the 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 barrier is more of one of complexity i think and that growing complexity is 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 certainly something that i think is going to be really hard to deal with yeah yeah no it's uh the 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 other thing that goes on throughout this whole video is there, there are there are so many layers of stuff that has to kind of get unwound which is it's it's cool that the the vision is out there and then you start going like oh this is more than just you know, technology, like you said, it's, there's, there's legal aspects to it. There's compliance aspects, there's data privacy and which is good. Cause this is, this is the kind of stuff that, you know, you need to put it into a visible, uh, context before people are going to kind of go, okay, I, you know, I want that. And then they kind of, you have to unpack, how do I, how do I fix that? Um, the, the one thing I loved, um, so th- there was some stuff towards the end that was all about kind of interactive 3D displays. And I think we, we touched on that a little bit. The, the one aspect that I kind of love and I've been thinking about more is this whole sort of, you know, wearable medical monitoring. So the, you know, the context of it is uh, the you know, person basically is having some sort of problem, looks like a, like a shoulder, you know, sore shoulder or something. And um, they, they have this sort of digital patch, you know, it looks sort of like the, uh, you know, non-smoking patch that you'd put on your shoulder or something. 
Um, like how much have you dug into that sort of stuff where you have this technology that, you know, is, is pretty seamless for what your day-to-day life would look like. And, uh, it gets, gets cheap enough to where, you know, you can collect information and, and send it off. I mean, it's, it's sort of an IOT thing, right? It's a, it just happens to be, you know, monitoring some sort of medical aspect. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and, and, um, it, it's, it's kind of critical for us from a Citrix perspective and not, not, um, not necessarily because of the technology, but because, you know, it, it, I think healthcare is probably, if it's not the biggest, it's our second biggest industry sector. Um, in fact, it may, it may even be the biggest behind, behind finance. Um, but you know, I mean, if you, if you kind of think about that as a, as a, as a sort of a construct for the future, you know, the, the, the intersection of, I mean, let me kind of step back a second. So, so, you know, as we talked about a little bit earlier, this kind of whole thing about, about people and technology, you know, your health is probably the only thing that you, you really truly have to have above, above all else, right? I mean, it's kind of the number yeah. one thing because without it, you, you, you're kind of screwed, right? And I think, you know, historically, um, there's been a, a a very cumbersome approach to to sort of med- certainly in the UK, you know, the medical records and moving things from you know a doctor to a hospital for you know advanced tests or whatever it is, or even simple ones in that case. They're moving them back, and then there's this huge lag, right, which creates a you know kind of a, a an uncertainty within the patient, and then you know additional stress and all those different things, right. And that's kind of back to that comment I made about about the the time that we can shave off i mean this is not specific to healthcare but you know just in general information flow um so from a citrix perspective you know i mean a lot of people don't probably don't realize this but you know that that video and and some of the some of the other things that you see um you know either being blogged or or presented from a citrix perspective is is the output of a strategic group that we have under the office of the cto so you know we do a lot of, of thinking through strategic pieces of which iot is one and healthcare is the other and then the confluence of those two things gets really interesting Interesting. Um, you know, we've we've done a, a ton of work recently, and, and in fact, you know, if you if you want to use your favourite search engine, um, and you know, just kind of search Citrix Healthcare of Things or Citrix CTO twenty twenty. You know, there's a bunch of stuff out there that talks about what we're doing on that, which is you know far more detailed than that could go into here. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, it's 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 we we obviously recognise the opportunities there. We recognise the fact that that you know this is something that could change an industry, right? You know, and and um, you don't get many opportunities to do that, especially in heavily heavily regulated industries but you know i think the fact of the matter is that that healthcare is is definitely um ripe for change you know we, we see a lot of the top healthcare providers in the u.s and worldwide digitizing their world right you know and the fact that they it's interesting because there's not an awful lot of of uh, necessarily money to be made from that from their perspective but you know kind of patient satisfaction and, and reducing the time for um for, for results to be given and the right medications and those sorts of things it's a logical extension right but again you know it's a slippery slope in terms of how much do you want to have your healthcare information made available to devices and to applications because you know there's probably some concerns out there about who would get that you know and what would happen to your healthcare premium if people could actually see you know your bodily functions on a day-to-day basis as an example right so right. Uh, you know it's a it's probably a double-edged sword in many respects but i think from a, from a technology perspective you know we've we've obviously looked at it and said well you know you've got you've got wearables you've got the transmission of data securely you've got the you know the back end systems that need to be talked to you've got this interaction with sort of two-way video and, and instant communication all of that's doable today but i think the big the big thing is you know how do you put that together and make it a solution which 
takes into consideration those things you mentioned before about regulatory and and the interop stuff that we talked about. I mean, that's the challenge, right? You know, how do you take these these distinct pieces of technology, some of which are very much commoditized now, some of which are kind of you know on the path to being, but how do you package those up and make them into a solution to fit you know something like a healthcare? Um, you know, making sure that you that you have it as secure as you can, but also future proof for flexibility. I think that's to me that's the that's the real challenge. You know, you can you can pick horizontal technologies all day long, but you know, how do you group them into a kind of a vertical solution? I think that's that's a that's a big challenge. Yeah, no, definitely. I, I, I mean, the thing that jumps out to me is you know I think about at least here in the states, and I'm, I'm sure it's happening around the world. Is I mean, there is a you know, there's a CVS or a Walgreens on every corner nowadays. So, I mean, there, there's there's sort of the the way to get to where uh, healthcare interaction could begin um, in terms of like I could go over and pick up one of these little patches for a grandmother, a mother, a, you know, whatever, a kid. And then, you know, you, you think about this, you put this in the context of, of sort of Internet of Things and so forth. You know, we've been having all these conversations of people talking about doing like continuous monitoring of servers and continuous monitoring of applications and then from a healthcare perspective, you, you put it, you know, you sort of go, well, how does our healthcare system work? Well, basically somebody goes, well, I had, a, I was sore for a while. And so there's no, there's no measurement to there. It's just like, I didn't feel good. And there's no data that gets kept about how long you didn't feel good. And then you sort of sit and wait in a doctor's office and you're sort of scared of them. And, and you know, and, and you go, yeah, if there was a way to, to collect that information from somebody, you could do it on demand, you could do it in a way that's super easy to get to. You get over people's fear of going to the doctor's office or whatever. Yeah, that's enormously game-changing. And I think about the number of people that I know that are either at, at our age and they're sort of going like, hey, my health is going through some weird things, or they've got friends or family and so forth. Like, It's a huge industry and it's a huge part of the population and so forth. So it's, it's, it's interesting. The biggest thing to me was, again, trying to show people how much easier you can make the experience of interacting with medicine and then, of course, there's obviously, like you said, there's all the complexities in the back end, but, but technologists are good at figuring out how to, how to make the back end systems work. It's, it's getting the front end uh, engaged and, and uh, people wanting to use it and, and wanting to engage with it. Well, and there's also the, the reactive approach, which is that, obviously. And then there's the proactive approach. Like if you look at the Apple Watches or the Fitbits or all these other things, you're starting to see more wearable tech where, you know, an Apple Watch will tell you to get up and move around or the Fitbit um, will track your sleep. And, you know, I can tell you right now, I don't sleep enough because my Fitbit tells me that every day. Um, you know, there, there's all these things going on too, where it's just that, that monitoring, just constant monitoring and tracking of trends over time is, is just more data, the better kind of thing at times for you personally. Oh, you know, I, I, absolutely. I mean, you know, not not to kind of labor the point on on healthcare too much, but you know, if you think about sort of the consumer wearables when they first came out, you know, I'm not talking Google Glass here. I'm talking about you know the fitness and tracking of movement or steps or whatever it was. I mean, you know, that that was kind of like. I, I equated it the other day to like when the notebook landed, you know, and it was a cool idea for about half an hour, and then the tablet came out, and that was the end of that, right? So, you know, it's like all the pretty much every every wearable now that focuses on health does, you know, pulse, temperature, cardiac rhythms, you know, all, all those things that you would look at and say, wow, you know, now I can build up a really interesting um, data set around me, you know, and 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 what's kind of cool is that you know you can kind of adjust that to sleep patterns or you adjust it to high periods of stress during the day and you can kind of begin to sort of look at how your you know your bio life works um you know and, and I, I i i mean i'm with you guys you know i think the the, the more um the more it can 
can monitor, the better control we have, you know, and, and the better chance of finding out, you know, any, any bad things higher up, right? Now, I would go back to, again, one of the things we said earlier, though, you know, I mean, there's going to be a lot of people um, in the world who would not be willing to give up their health to, you know, an autonomous system that's collecting things, right? Irrespective of the fact that, you know, if you go to a physical doctor, they're going to send you to a hospital, they're going to stick an ECG on you, whatever it is, all of which can probably be done or will be able to be done by these devices, home devices. Um, you know, but I think there's a comfort level and it goes back to that, you know, the driving analogy at the start and to the pilot analogy. You know, there's a comfort level with with human to human interaction. And I think even if you build that out into, you know, kind of a, a situation where, you know, if anything goes out of tolerances, you know, like again, like the operation of a nuclear plant, let's say, if anything, go, you know, there's lots of things looking at that, right? And there's probably no reason to be scared of nuclear facilities in general. But every so often, there'll be, you know, a Fukushima, or there'll be a Chernobyl, or there'll be a whatever, right? some, something of that nature. I, I just wonder, you know whether people are, are willing to give up their you know ultimately their health to a black device that fits around your wrist and hey you know the doctor will call you and it'll pop up on your screen when things go out of tolerance i mean i, I just it to me it wouldn't bother me because i think it's actually really cool you know that people are actually looking out on it and it's a bit like the old life alert right you know help i've fallen and i can't get up but it's just going to tell you that you've fallen before you fall right so it's pretty cool yeah yeah, no, absolutely. Well, listen, man, um, I think we're going to go ahead and wrap this up. Um, I, first off, uh, thank you for, uh, you know, continuing to support the show and be a guest on the show and, and uh, sort of, you know, friend to us and, and the back end. And more than anything, we, we joke nowadays, people ask us, you know, about the show and we basically say, you know, our original sales pitch to people was, hey, can we have half an hour of your time? We have no listeners. We just want to learn something. So, uh, so first off, thank you for for being the first one to give us some time and, and obviously some other people have, have come along afterwards, but uh, very cool stuff, folks. I know some of this might've been a little tricky to listen to because you didn't have the video in front of you, but go, go take a look at it. Go spend three or four minutes because the reality is whether you're an app developer on the back end, you're an infrastructure person trying to figure out some of this new stuff, or you're, you know, you're trying to convince your company where to go. Um, you know, the things that Christian dig, digs into and deals with, um, you know, is a little bit out there sometimes, but, but there's, there's a lot of reality, uh, to what's, what's really there. So it's, it's a good thing for you to go take a look at and, and start figuring out, you know, either how are you going to engage with it from a job perspective or, you know, where does your company fit in from, from that perspective? So, um, so Christian, where can people go find out where you're going to be talking about stuff or interact with you or, or all the other ways to stalk you online? Yeah, so you can obviously the Twitter feed is probably the best one, which is at Riley USA, R E I L L Y USA, which I kept from when I was out there, of course, as you guys know. Um, but what I will do is I'm, I'm going to do an unashamed plug here at the end of this. So I'll give you a couple of links for the uh, narrative on the, on the on the Cloudcast page, just for the the 2020 technology landscape and some of the stuff we've talked about from healthcare. Because you know, even though it's it's not well, it's kind of specific to healthcare in that case. It's really just an indication of kind of you know how how we think about some things. And, and think about that sort of technology turned into solutions, which, you know, from a kind of a customer perspective or anybody else in tech, you know, I, I've been on both sides of this. And, and I think the solutions bit is always kind of hard to deal with. So so maybe that'll just help with some of the backdrop. But um, it's great catching up with you guys. It's been, you know, it's gone really quickly, actually. We could probably have done a few hours on this topic. But um, it was uh, it was nice to be number one and nice to be number 200. So uh, maybe if we do a Fibonacci sequence, I'll be 613 by the next time I'm <laughs> Nice. Nice. Well, very cool Aaron you want to wrap it up and take us home and uh, and uh, folks again thank you for, for listening not only to this show but but for the, all the other uh, 200 in between 
Yeah, absolutely. So I just wanted to say once again, thank you everyone for listening. Um, it, it's been a fun ride over the last few years without a doubt. Um, and, and now that we have the new fancy uh, intros and outros uh, uh, with actually, who knows, could, could be somebody related to uh, Christian over there doing our uh, announcing now. Um, kind of the links to everything is, is all in the outro now, but I just want to say again, thanks for listening, everyone. Uh, thanks for supporting us over the last couple of years and uh, we'll talk next time. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to The Cloudcast. Please visit thecloudcast.net to find more shows, show notes, videos, and everything social media. 